It's a good video, I think, you know, as we've been talking really about intimacy with God because you can kind of see some of what they talked about in there is really kind of what we've been talking about uh, as we've kind of been trying to cover these foundations um, of what it really means uh, to be intimate with God in um, our relationship. And oftentimes we, we kind of fall into a lot of those same traps and we have a lot of those same obstacles uh, that you saw God attempting to uh, chisel away in there. And those oftentimes can really become obstacles that block us or hinder us from really going deeper in our walk and our relationship with God. And so we've kind of been uh, covering and just talking about some of the, um, the foundations for how do we grow, how do we press in deeper uh, in intimacy uh, with the Godhead. And we are talking about, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And last week, I, I, on your outline, I've kind of, I think, listed out the five that we've really covered, and I've gone back and, and covered those uh, several times in, in uh, uh, not as much detail as I did the first time through, but tonight I, I kind of want to just go right to point number um, six. I think these, all of these should be available on the website, um, the past teachings. Is that true, Brent? Yeah. And so if there's some foundations on here that you're unfamiliar with, um, you can always get online and uh, try to find uh, those, um, those sermons or teachings online and just go through those again. And so the sixth foundation, introduced that last week, I want to kind of um, get to that uh, tonight, and that is, is the sixth foundation is weak love for God is not the same as hypocritical love. Now, the experience, the capacity that God created us with to, to receive love is increased when we return that love that we have received from God, when we take that and, and we kind of channel that back to God and to others, what happens when we do that is that love of God, more and more of that will be released into your life. So it's not just receiving and then containing, holding that love that God has showered upon you. It is allowing the love of God to come upon you in such a way that it flows back out to God and then also um, to others. And, and when that happens, what, what you'll discover is God's love, the capacity for you to experience the love of God will increase. Uh, in other words, it's not just enough for you and I to receive God's love. It's a, it's a great start, but we've got to take the love that we are receiving from God, and we need to return that love back to him as well as to one another. That's why oftentimes you'll hear people say, it takes God to love God. Uh, the more of God's love we receive, and then out of that source of God's love, we love him in return and one another, the greater the measure and increase and capacity that we have to receive and to experience more of his love. Um, you maybe are familiar with the, the phrase, no lover is content in just being loved. God's desire is, is both to be a lover of mankind and also a receiver of 
mankind's love in return. So, so God is not just here to shower his love upon us. God has us here so that we would take that love and begin to love him, to express love back to uh, God. And so we respond to him. And in that response of love, so when, when you begin to respond to God back in love out of the measure of love that he has given to you, now that can be weak love. And oftentimes it is. Okay? We respond to that love of God that has been shed abroad in our hearts, even if it's weak maybe insincere, in order that, again, we might go deeper and increase and experience more and more of the love of God. Now, we'll see this same sentiment expressed in healthy marriages. How many of you have said to your spouse or have had said to you by your spouse, I love you now more than the day I married you? And the reason we find that sentiment true is because you've loved them day by day. You've poured love out upon them, you've received love back from them, and in that your measure, your capacity for loving them has increased. It's grown. And the same is true in our, in our walk with God. And like marriages, there are times where our love for God and our love for our spouse is weak. And the fact that we are weak in our love towards God and one another does not necessarily mean that we're hypocritical. And so oftentimes we'll, we'll see our weak, maybe our insincere, um, fallible love for God and we'll mistake that for hypocritical love. Now the traditional definition of a hypocrite is somebody who says one thing and does another. And actually that's really not fully true. Instead a hypocrite is somebody who says one thing but does not pursue it. Big difference. Big difference. A hypocrite is someone who says one thing, but in actuality is not doing anything to pursue it. A genuine, authentic, passionate lover and pursuer of God does not attain everything they aim at. Remember what I said last week, progress, not perfection. And oftentimes when we think that our love for God is not perfect or full or complete or lacking, that somehow we are hypocrites. No matter how short we may fall in our pursuit, our love of God, as long as we are, 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 are diligent and we're pursuing God sincerely, and even at great cost, it's the kind of love that God responds to. Uh, Pastor Jim uh, w w is fond of saying, you'll hear him say this quite often, my, my, my all may be small, but it's my all. And that's what God's after. And the trouble with many of us is we kind of run 
into this idea that when we are, are, are attempting to love God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, but fall short in our efforts, we wrongly kind of conclude we see ourselves as hypocrites, as phonies, as, as inauthentic lovers and pursuers of God. And again, that is why we will, it, it, it's never enough and wholly inadequate for you and I to possess only knowledge about God. It must go beyond our intellect of knowing that God loves us, knowing that God accepts us. It's got to go beyond that to where we have the assurance, where we have the confidence in our spirits, in our hearts, that our love for God is genuine. Even though at times and oftentimes more than not, when that love is weak or maybe it's in the process of maturing, it may be in the process of growing, immature love, developing love, growing love for Jesus, for the Father, for the Holy Spirit is not hypocritical love. Jesus doesn't wait to receive our love of him until it's perfectly full and complete. The Godhead receives our love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit even in those times when it may seem weak, imperfect, and incomplete so long as we are striving and pursuing to grow and mature in that love. Now, many, many believers kind of give up They beat themselves up. They get under guilt and shame and condemnation because they do not realize that when they come up short before God, whether in what we say or what we do, our love, that imperfect, weak, maybe insincere love is still received by God. And we've got to come to that place in our walk and in our journey with God where we understand And we just accept by his word and the confirmation in our spirit that his commitment to us is always going to be stronger than our commitment to him. Let me say that again. You have got to come to the place where you accept and understand that God's commitment towards you is always forever going to be stronger than your commitment to him. Your love for God will never be greater, stronger, deeper, fuller than his love for you, ever. There will never, ever come a time when those, ta- those scales are gonna tip the other way. There will always be a part of us both in this life and in the life to come where our love of him, our desire for him, our knowledge, our revelation of him will always be growing, expanding, and increasing. There's never ever a time where you are going to possess the fullness of all that God is. It is unsearchable. It is, we can't 
There's no end to that. That's part of why eternity is going to be so exciting because we are going to be for all eternity discovering new facets and aspects and depths to the love, the grace, the kindness, the goodness, the nature of God. We're going to be blown away and, and turn around and be blown away again. And we're, we're, It's just going to be a series of just deeper, greater revelations into the person and nature of God. It's part of the adventure that awaits us now and then. I love the idea that I'll always in this life and in the life to come, always be discovering and learning new things about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is infinite, and in that Um, infiniteness, there is no beginning, there is no end to who he is. He is inexhaustible, inexhaustible. God's absolute commitment to us and his boundless love toward us, not our performance, not our track record of the past week, not our obedience, but rather God's commitment to us and his boundless love towards us, that must be the basis, the foundation of our confidence and our security in him. God's absolute commitment, steadfast commitment to us and his boundless love toward us, even when our commitment to him, our love for him may be weak, immature, incomplete, it's his commitment to us that must be the basis, the foundation of our confidence and security. Anything less than that. It will lead us to failure, to frustration, and dissatisfaction. So how are we to view ourselves in those times when we come under divine discipline? That chiseling that you saw that guy doing. I mean, how many of you as you're watching that felt some of of what was being chiseled off of him? Were you able to identify and think, wow, if God were to have to do that to me, that's a place God would need to work on as well. And, and that's what God does in that divine discipline. He, he's coming and he's trying to remove those things that take away from his image being formed in us. He just wants to begin to chisel that away. He loves you too much to leave you where you're at. That's why it's such a powerful video and we, we, when we're talking about intimacy with God. So how are we to view ourselves when we come under that divine discipline? Again, we must see ourselves as genuine lovers and pursuers of God whose love, even though that love of ours may be weak, insincere, incomplete, but that love that we express towards God moves his heart. Do you believe that? Do you believe that, that, that you can love God in such a way that you move his heart? That's, that's how we've got to see ourselves. Our sincere, genuine love 
for God, towards God, even though it's weak, imperfect, and struggling, God receives that and is moved by it. He's delighted in it. And when we come to God in that way, again, it just causes God to release more of his love into our lives, thereby strengthening, maturing, and perfecting our love for him and for one another. So don't write yourselves off as false or hypocritical or insincere simply because you find yourself struggling. So it comes back to the question of our core identity. Am I a sinner who struggles to love God? Or am I a lover of God who struggles with weaknesses, failures, mistakes, and sin? Again, if our sins, your struggles, your failures, your mistakes, if those are the most important and defining thing about you, then you will present yourself before God, always defining yourself according to your most recent sin or struggle. Again, this is one of the things that that I take issue with in Alcoholics Anonymous. I I think there's a lot of great things that they do in there. But one of the things that, that happens is oftentimes people constantly define themselves by their past sins or struggles. I am an alcoholic. And they can be off alcohol for 30 years and they continue to see themselves in that framework. The freedom that that God has come to set us free from is not based off of, nor is it defined by the total sum of our failures or our struggles. I don't say, wow, God, you know, I've had a great week so far. I mean, it's Wednesday I mean, I've done this, 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 and God, you've got to be pleased. I've been in the Bible. I've been praying. I, I mean, you can just list all of the things that you've done that are, that are great and noble for God. And so, God, because of that, I just know I can come into your presence and worship you. That's no good. It's no good than, than uh, saying, well, God, you know, it's been a tough week. I've had a lot of struggles, a lot of failures, a lot of mistakes. And because of that, I just don't feel worthy to come into your presence, uh, much less worship you. So, you know, God, I'll, I'll try harder next week and see where I'm at then. When we take either of those paths towards God, we are making it more about us and what we have done or haven't done than about him and what he has accomplished, what he has completed for us in Christ. Paul wrote in Romans 6, 13, present yourselves. You do this. I I can't do this for you. Paul admonishes them. You present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. 
as born-again believers, God sees us, he views you and I alive from the dead. Therefore, we, he says, present yourselves as alive, meaning accepted, enjoyed, delighted in. Not dead, not consumed, not separated, condemned, or rejected by God or sin. We cannot, we should not define ourselves by our most recent struggle, but rather by God's view, how he sees us in Christ as being alive unto him. Yeah, we acknowledge, and we need to be honest And we need to confess our struggles, our weaknesses. We cry out to God for help, for forgiveness, deliverance, strength to overcome, strength to persevere. However, we must view and define ourselves before God as genuine, passionate lovers of God, even in those times when it seems, it feels weak, incomplete, imperfect. In those times of imperfect, weak love, we just acknowledge what God already knows. We need more of you. We need you, God, to release more love into our Lives And God, as you do that, and as we just begin to channel that back to you, to begin to channel that back to others, God, I know you'll grow, you'll increase that love, your love in my life. That's the sixth foundation. Seventh final foundation. I don't know if I'll get, I, I probably won't get through all this tonight, so uh, I'll try to get as far as I can here. Seventh foundation for developing, deepening our intimacy with God is maturity protects us in the anointing. Maturity provides protection. It creates a hedge in the anointing. Now the anointing, as described in the Bible, can be defined as God coming upon human flesh, doing those things human flesh cannot do alone. That, that's my working definition of anointing. The anointing of God comes upon human flesh to do what human flesh cannot do alone. It is God doing those things only he can do and doing them using a flesh and blood vessel. Paul defines it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, but we have... This treasure in earthen vessels. Our bodies are the earthen vessel. And Paul says we are containers of this treasure in our human bodies. That the excellency or the supremacy of the power of God, the anointing of God, may be of God and not of us. The treasure that he's talking about there is the Holy Spirit. It's when we contain, and that's what a a container does, doesn't it? 
I mean, if you have a container, you, you have it primarily because you want it to contain something. God created us as containers so that we could contain the Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit. And Paul says that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So it is the anointing, it is that power and the presence of the Holy Spirit within us, that's the treasure Paul is referring to. It is manifesting himself to accomplish his plans, his purposes in and through us. Now, to be anointed by God, it's not only to just be set apart, but also to be empowered, to be endued with power through the Holy Spirit for the task or position to which he has called you. The anointing is God's spirit and power coming upon you, in you, and through you for service to him and for the service of others. Now, now Jesus, you know, reading in the temple one time from the prophet Isaiah, said in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 through 19, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed God, he's saying, has come upon me. The spirit of God is upon me. It is what enables me to do what I'm going to do. And he said to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And Jesus is acknowledging here his dependency upon the Holy Spirit to accomplish and do all that he's going to do in his earthly ministry. Jesus is acknowledging that he has this burden-removing, yoke-breaking power of Almighty God all over him, in him, and through him. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, as Peter is preaching to the Gentiles, he, he affirms this. He says, how God, the Father, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Again, the anointing that Jesus had is the anointing we can have as well. And that is the power and presence of God by the Holy Spirit to do the works of God upon the earth. Now maturity, again, which, which I'm, I'm saying means we, we are maturing, we are going deeper and deeper and deeper in our walk with God, in our love toward him in revelation of him, in the experience of God, the relationship with God. And I'm saying it is that maturity, that growing in all of that, it provides a protection for those believers who are walking in the anointing. Now, it's important to understand that God has three basic responses to people on the earth. We talked about a few of these. The first one is God loves the unbeliever. God, his unconditional love is toward everyone, believer or unbeliever, sinner or or non. 
Jesus said in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God has the heart, the desire, the passion to save, to love everyone. It's not a problem for God. 1 Timothy 2, beginning in verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And we know Jesus is God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Loving sinners is not a problem for God. Secondly, God enjoys the redeemed. He delights in, his heart is moved by those who are his children. God loves the unbeliever. I've said this before. But he does not enjoy, nor does he delight in rebellious sinners. They do not and they cannot delight the heart of God. Third, and this is important, God releases and entrusts degrees of his power and anointing to the spiritually mature. The more spiritually mature we become, the more God will release and entrust greater degrees of his power and anointing in our lives. And, and again, I'm not going to probably have time to get into all of that this week, but this is so important. And, and, and it's why so many believers and so many churches cannot and will not operate in the anointing. What we have discovered, or at least I've discovered, as I've kind of made my way through these seven foundational truths, is that God enjoys, he delights in those who are spiritually immature, but God will withhold power and anointing in our lives until there is greater spiritual depth, until we are going on to maturity the measure and release of God's power and anointing in and through your lives, my lives, is in direct proportion to the level of spiritual maturity, no more, no less. The motivation of this from God's vantage point is not punishment. He's not withholding the anointing or the power from you to punish you. He's doing it to protect you. Now, many Christians wrongly conclude that certain believers have a greater amount of anointing or a greater power uh, in their life, in their ministry, because they've earned it. No one has a greater anointing in their lives because they've earned it. Why do the spiritually mature believers have more anointing, more of God's power and presence in their lives than the spiritually immature believer? It's not because the spiritually mature believers have earned it, but it's because God gives greater measures of his power and anointing because there is a level of maturity to protect them in that. If God released too much of his power and his anointing in the life of a spiritually immature believer, it would wreck their lives. It's like a person who's financially poor and not able to you know, manage their money well. 
And then all of a sudden, you know, they, they bequeath an inheritance of a large amount of money or they're fortunate to, to win the lottery. And, and they're not used to having the, the vast amounts of money that they suddenly now have and they just don't know how to properly manage it. Again, it has the power and the potential to create havoc and mayhem in their lives. And eventually, it will destroy them or they'll just end up losing everything. As a matter of fact, one study showed um, that one-third of the multi-million dollar lottery winners become bankrupt in in, in a few short years after they win that. Because, again, to go from having little to nothing to all of a sudden having too much without the means to properly know how to use it, to manage it, to steward it, ends up in disaster. The same is, is true concerning the release of God's power and anointing over our lives. Too much, too soon in the life of a spiritually immature person will be disastrous for them and potentially for those who run close to them. Spiritual maturity, going deeper and deeper and deeper in the things of God, protects those whom God has released his power and anointing. It has nothing to do with earning it. It has everything to do with God seeing the person through their spiritual growth and maturity. God looks at that and determines when we are ready and able to handle his power and anointing over our lives. Reminds you of a story in Luke 9. How, um, uh, you remember uh, in there, uh, it's time is drawing near for Jesus to go to the cross. So he, he sets his travel plans to Jerusalem. His disciples uh, are, are walking with him. The cross awaits him there. And you remember, Jesus sent some of his disciples ahead to go into a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival there. And so uh, the uh, people of the Samaritan village uh, meet the disciples, they hear that Jesus is on his way there, that he, that he wants to be there, uh, and, and uh, they simply tell him, you go and tell Jesus, he is not welcome here, we don't want him coming here. And, and so, verse 54, when James and John saw this, when they heard this, they said to Jesus, they go back to Jesus, they tell Jesus what happens, and then they said, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up and destroy them just like Elijah did? Remember that, Jesus? Jesus turned and he rebuked them, saying, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they just went on to another village. This is the potential outcome of what happens when spiritually immature, weak believers want to operate in the power and the anointing of God. Let's be honest. If some of you had the power to call down fire from heaven, others of us wouldn't be here right now, right? 
When you compare that to Elijah, who who they recognized and pointed to as their example, Elijah is a spiritually mature prophet of God who uses the power, the anointing of God to consume an offering in order to prove God's greatness over the lesser gods of Baal. And the reason most believers do not have the ability nor the power to call down fire from heaven is because we do not have the needed spiritual maturity to go with it. That also applies to other spiritual abilities and powers lacking in our lives. So God, out of his great love for you, withholds releasing greater measures of his power and anointing over and into our lives until we have the needed spiritual maturity to go with it. He does that to protect us and to protect those we would be unwisely tempted to exercise it upon. If you think that's a good thing, say amen. Otherwise, I'll call down fire from heaven to consume you. See, a lot of believers want the power, the anointing of God without the maturity. A lot of believers are like Simon in Acts 8. Simon was a man who lived in Samaria He was a sorcerer, a magician for many years. If you remember the story, one day Philip comes to Samaria preaching the good news of the gospel, and Simon, the sorcerer, the magician, is converted and becomes a Christian. Verse 13 says, then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and the great miracles Philip performed. So when word reaches the other apostles, who are in Jerusalem, of all of these amazing, wonderful, mighty works of God that are happening in Samaria, they sent Peter and John to join Philip. So Peter and John show up, and they start laying hands upon uh, people that they might begin to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and there in the crowd is Simon watching Peter and John laying hands on, people are being filled with the baptism and the power of the Holy Spirit. And what does Simon do? He begins to offer them money to buy this power. Verse 19, let me, this is Simon, have this power too, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will also receive the Holy Spirit. Peter responds May your money be destroyed for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Do you see, Simon wanted the power, the anointing of God, but he was not ready. 
He does not have the spiritual maturity or the depth to handle that kind of power and anointing. And so his motives were not at all in line with God's motives. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna end there. We'll kind of we're gonna kind of pick up on this and, and finish up on this um, point next week. But I think I, I've said enough tonight that you can get the gist of this. And oftentimes, again, like I said, for a lot of believers, they're oftentimes wondering why why doesn't God use me? Why why doesn't God move? I mean, why do I pray and and nothing happens? Um, and what we're going to kind of get into, we're going to kind of get into to Paul's life because Paul was a man who prayed and things happened. But we're also going to see Paul had the spiritual maturity, the depth in God to be able to handle all of the ways that God's anointing, God's power worked in and through uh, Paul's life. And again, it becomes a, a great learning tool for us if we desire to be used of God the way Paul does. We gotta look at what Paul was doing in order to place himself and to position himself in such a way that the anointing of God was able to come upon Paul in very, very powerful ways, but never destroyed um, Paul. And so I wanna, we'll get into that um, next week. Um, Let's just pray tonight. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that I, I just, I believe that there is a challenge that you have set before us tonight. And God, that challenge is, as we hear on this particular seventh foundation, and God, tonight, maybe we're looking we're kind of just doing inventory in our own lives and in our own ministries and, and maybe we're kind of starting to come to understand why maybe your power, your anointing doesn't work in our lives as powerfully as we would like to see it. And, and God, as we're able to stand back and, and look at that, God, we also understand, God, that, that, that part of the reason for that, God, is, is because you're protecting us. That, God, you don't want us beginning to walk in, in pride and, and in arrogance that can be very, very destructive. That, God, you don't want us walking in, 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 in ways that would boast the flesh, that, that would cause us to lean on the arm of flesh rather than on the Spirit of God. And so tonight, God, I just ask, Lord, that you would again just begin to work this truth into our hearts that, God, you would, again, just uh, set our hearts, set our sights, God, upon loving you, receiving your love, and loving you in return, loving others. And, God, as, as we begin to walk in that in, in, in fuller ways, God, that more and more of your love would be released into our lives. And that, God, as we just continue pursuing that intimacy, that, that, that deeper walk with you, that, God, what we're going to come to understand, what we're going to come to understand and experience in that, God, is that just more and more of your anointing, your power, it's just going to be released over our lives to be able to do, to be able to speak those things that are not as though they were, to begin to pray for healing, to begin to just to, to see the miraculous begin to work in, in our own lives. And, Father, we know that that just comes through your power it is, it is not our power, it is the power of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. And so God, I, I just pray, Lord, that, that you would just create a hunger in our hearts tonight 
not for that power and that anointing, but that, God, you would create tonight in our hearts a hunger for intimacy with you. A hunger in our hearts tonight, God, to want to go deeper, to pursue the deeper things of you tonight, God. And that, Lord, out of that, out of that intimacy, out of that deeper walk and relationship with you, God, the anointing will come. And in that maturity, we will be protected in that anointing. So, God, just set our hearts. Just set our hearts, our focus upon loving you, receiving your love, and just going deeper tonight, Father. We thank you for this. We thank you for your power, your presence with us tonight. We thank you, God, that it is for freedom that you have come to set us free. And Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you love us, that you're faithful toward us, you're steadfast toward us, that, God, you're, you're absolutely committed in your love toward us, Father. We just thank you for that, Lord. I just pray you'll just cement that truth in our hearts, God. We just thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.